The game podcast is proudly sponsored by StarCityGames.com. SCG Baltimore is this weekend, so grab your teammates or watch the coverage unfold on Twitch. On StarCityGames.com, new unstable singles are added every day. Also, each weekday on StarCityGames.com, you can find premium articles by four Pro Tour champions and Brad Nelson. Hey everyone, welcome to the 53rd episode of the Game Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Brian Gottlieb, who just like you confused me, man. You put your name as B.R. Yang. I just want to introduce you as that. Yeah, well, I haven't gone to that name in a while. I feel like it's time to introduce a a whole new uh, swath of people to the most ludicrous nickname in the history of the world. As it turns out, when you make your Magic Online screen name Brian G with a Y, it looks like B.R. Yang. No, it looks like B.R. Yang to Jarvis. Jarvis was the person who read it that way. <laughs> and then it stuck from that point forward. I, I don't think anyone else has has ever made that mistake. Just him. Okay. Well, I mean, it sticks, you know. It did stick, yes. You know what I hate about podcasts is like when you, you listen to them and then just for the first 10 minutes, they ramble about nothing. Yeah. We usually don't do that. I don't know. I don't know why we fired in that direction today. <laughs> Dude, you confused me with a new name. Anyway, standard. We're talking about standard. When are the P- the RPTQs? Uh, they happened. The first wave happened le- this past weekend, but they are modern, I believe. No, I know. That's that's why I'm just like, oh man, maybe we're punting. Oh, uh, well, I do think there's one more wave of modern RPTQs coming up. And I, I think the Moto one is maybe coming up this weekend as well. I don't know. We might have yeah. a, a mini riot on our hands. But we, we really just did a really good modern show just a couple weeks back. And, you know, I haven't seen anything in those two weeks that really changed my opinion about modern. So if that's what you're here for this week, maybe you can go back a couple weeks and refresh yourself on that episode. Because I think we really talked through everything. Yeah, I agree completely. So, okay, standard this week. Uh, I have Grand Prix Portland this weekend. Are you doing anything this weekend? Uh, I'm actually going to play a local PPTQ, which I'm I'm kind of excited about. I haven't had the chance to actually play Live Magic in a little while. So, you know, a lower stakes tournament, but still a, a relevant event for me to prepare for. And so I've been keeping myself up to speed and have some thoughts on what I want to fire for this weekend. Cool. And that is standard? That is standard. Excellent. Uh, where are you leaning before, before the podcast? Okay, before the podcast. I, I mean, I'm, I'm still playing Teamer. I have dabbled with the idea of going to Four Colors because Yuya Watanabe's deck, which I mean, I think we'll probably talk at least around it. He, he just did the coolest thing ever. He maxed his Vizier's four Vizier of many faces. And I was yeah, just Yeah, a few like, people did that at the Pro Tour. I actually love that idea. I think it's awesome. I think like he knows where he's trying to get his edge. Um, I think he's got a very clear plan for the mirror now and and for other, you know, attrition-y type matchups, which are becoming more popular. Right now, it would be something very close to Yuya's list, but I think I'm more inclined to maybe just play straight Teamer and kind of cop that technology and just go really hard on Vizier. Yeah, that's legit. Teamer is obviously the first thing that I want to talk about, so we can just, you know, discuss this now. My optimal sideboarding strat for the mirror was two Vizier, two Chandra's defeat, and then like one of something else, basically, like maybe another coup or a Sky Sovereign. And my rationale was that Vizier is probably the best card for giving you some amount of staying power, and it also lets you backpack off their Glory Bringers if they have Glory Bringer advantage, or if you have one, it just gives you more ways to play a second one, which is one of the most powerful things you can be doing. And Chandra's Defeat is basically there to help you break serve in the mirror because it is very, very difficult to do that. Yeah, and that's that's how I would approach the mirror as well. I mean, I guess like my thought is going a little bit harder than you do right now. I know your sideboarding plan is, you know, fairly light in the mirror, but you know how you're approaching it. You know what you want to do. You're basically playing towards a critical turn with Chandra's Defeat in a lot of ways, like just looking for that spot where, okay, the game's mine now and here's my one minor removal spell and here's my board presence. What are you going to do now? And I like that. I I think that it's really interesting to me. I think Teamer is the deck that kind of demands the more technical play when we're comparing and contrasting four color and Teamer. I think four color, you'll get bailed out a lot by just like the sheer power level. Like Scarab God's going to bail you out from a lot of really stupid situations. But pure Teamer kind of asks you to maximize your edges in a lot of spots. And you can tell that like your sideboarding approach leans in that direction. You're not going hard. You're not trying to 
really change it fundamentally. You're just like, okay, I need to play towards this particular turn and then just optimize that turn to the absolute fullest. One mana removal spell. Here's my threat. What are you going to do now? Yeah, my issue with four viziers is that there there are diminishing returns, you know? Like, the, the games don't go long enough that you want all four, and I think it's, like, a nice value card to draw, like, one of, but I don't know that, like, you just want as many as you possibly can. Like, there's also the issue with the mana, potentially. It does probably require a little tweak of the mana. I will ask this question, though. I think maybe we're trending to a point where four vizier is more reasonable. Like, I think it's... You know, I have been in agreement that you can't really say Teamer always plays out this way because there are games where it's just about like early cub, ride that tempo advantage, removal spell, removal spell, game's over. Certainly there's plenty of games like that. But as decks kind of twist more and more and, and get more and more inbred, you know, kind of in the same way that Soul Tie was able to make its return, I think maybe you're able to say with a little bit more certainty, well, these games are going to go along. Like these are just the positions we find ourselves in repeatedly. I think if you like, there's this cool League of Legends stat, which is like average game time across patches. Mm. And they use it to compare like, you know, how grindy games are and or is it just like really snowball-y? I think if you were to track average turns in Teamer Mirrors as this format has go- gone on, games have gotten longer on average. That's my estimation. See, I, I think that was true at a point, And now I think that people are just kind of like honing in and focusing on aggression. Like they're they're not like, oh, you know, like, all of our Harness Lightnings kill our glory bringers, and like we, the game just goes on for a long time. When I was testing for the Pro Tour, we we just found that like in theory, your your cards have the ability to trade one for one a lot, but the games really don't play out that way because someone is trying to position themselves into like having a big cub or having a glory bringer that runs away with the game and stuff. And like those cards kill very quickly, even if it's just like you're playing this attrition game, but like they have a bristling hydra that you can't touch, you know, the, the games just seem to end quickly, even in the ones that look like they're going to be grindy. So it's more about like, again, just the point of turning the corner. And then once you hit that point, the game's over like that. Like it's, it's not about setting up across those turns. It's just finding the turn, wrapping it up at that point. Right, and past that, there there are things that do matter. Like, if you have a Vizier in your graveyard to flash back, then that is certainly going to help you, like, continue on with the pressure rather than, like, uh, maybe you flood out and you just, like, miss a drop on turn eight or something, and then they're able to, to stabilize after that. But if a Glory Bringer lives, like, that is it. The game is over. Very true. I don't know, though. Like, if you look across some of these lists, you're starting to see the number of Cubs come down. You're starting to see... Bristling Hydras come down. You're even starting to see Glorybringers come down. If I look at something like, uh, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Petter Shurik? Is that close, do you think? I I would pronounce it like Saturic or whatever. But yeah, like So Joe and I do this thing where we're like hanging out with Juzo, we're hanging out with Strosky, and it's like, all right, teach us how to pronounce Czech things. And it just, it doesn't go well. Yeah, ever. very difficult game to play. Yeah. But that gentleman who finished seventh at this Grand Prix, uh, he's down on Hydras, Glorybringers, and Cubs. He's got three Cubs, two Glorybringers, two Hydras. Um, so he's kind of trending down in all of those things. And, you know, two Scarab Gods, and then he's got the, uh, a much larger suite of Planeswalkers as well as a, a Sky Sovereign. So you can see he's kind of setting up for those longer games and, and kind of those trump cards. He has Hour of Devastation in his sideboard too. He does. Two hour of devastation. I hate that plan, though. I'm I, very I, curious where he's bringing that in. Do you think he's bringing that in the mirror? I mean, it could be for regs. It kills Hazard and like all their things, but probably the mirror. Huh. I just hate it because like you, you a cub could just be bigger than our. Yes. Or at least like they could have a cub in eight energy. Oh, I know like, that feeling that so well from playing ramp last season where the cub's just bigger than your hour and you're like, oh, I'm dead. Great. Yep. Uh, and Hydra is even like the same problem, right? Or if, if they have Sky Sovereign or something, it's just like our does not line up against a lot of stuff. And even if you hour and they just like glory bringer you, it's like, God damn it, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, it could be that's his red card. And, you know, that actually makes sense to me as a very good red card. It's cleaning up the Chandras in post-board games, glory bringers, all, all these huge cards that they invest a lot of resources into. Our is a very clean answer to all of them. So I don't know. I, I'd be really interesting to hear exactly what the dev- hour of devastation is there for. I mean, maybe it's just like the white aggro decks too. Like mm-hmm. creatures lose indestructible, so sure. it, it wipes up the Dantos vanguards and stuff. Like it's not that crazy. But yeah, man. I don't know. I, I think I think Vizier is good, but I don't think that you want to necessarily flood on them. 
And I, I'm also wary of like, so Yuya has two defeats, uh, maybe in a braid, maybe a Nissa if he's on the play, and all the Viziers, like Nicol Bolas is presumably for mid-range matchups. I, I mean, would it could think just so. be for like could just be like for blue white gift and, and stuff like that. But like he has a lot of cards to bring in, and what do you cut? Yeah, I don't know what he's cutting. I mean, I'm assuming he's probably cutting some number of cubs if that's what his plan looks like. Especially if he's on the draw, you can almost be certain that he's cutting all of his cubs. Some number of virtuosos, possibly. On the draw, you have a lot of cards to cut, right? Because like Chandra's not very good, Cubs not very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe on the draw, like you want the extra braid, but like I don't, I just don't like this plan of like, oh, I'm gonna grind you out with like Viziers and Vraskas and Scarab Gods and stuff because like Teamer is is ready for that stuff. Like I honestly think that just the the aggressive game plan is much better against all this stuff. Like, I would rather keep in my Cubs on the draw against this deck and then just have, like, a River's Rebuke to beat Scarab God. Yeah, so maybe he's kind of banking on the fact that nobody does that. Because, again, I think you and I are kind of... We've been sticklers for Cub and keeping Cub around a lot longer than other people do because the prevailing opinion is that Cub goes in the mirror, both on the play and draw. Some people are more inclined to keep a couple copies on the play, and some are like us and, you know, have a full four copies on the play and then explore their options on the draw. But maybe he's looking to bank hard on the fact that all these decks are slowing down and they just aren't adapting their post-board plans, you know, to, to kind of catch up with his his go-huge plan. Yeah, I don't know. I, I do like Yuya's use of treasure map and search for Ascanta on the sideboard, though. Those are nice. What What is he doing with a search for Ascanta? That card is so goofy in this deck. Dude, just finding a tune with ethers, making extra land drops, finding planeswalkers, whatever. You know, negates. Obviously, it's a great card. I don't know. That's not one I've ever really considered in Teamer. It seems very strange to me. But, you know, if if that's the game plan he's playing, it does kind of fit where he's just like this huge Planeswalker deck in post-board games. I considered it for some of the the weirdo sideboard plans where I had a bunch of spells and stuff. But this is, uh, I believe, basically the list that Shota played at the Pro Tour. Okay. Because I remember Shota having like Treasure Map Nicol Bolas. So, obviously, we have some differing thoughts about Teamer. What does your teamer list look like this weekend? Who's who's your teamer god? If my god was uh, you, yeah, who's your teamer god for this week? Uh, Cedric Phillips, I guess, because I sent him to GP Atlanta with my physical 75 cards and an updated sideboarding guide. And he, which I also he dominated? No, he didn't. God, oh. no. But he went six and three. All of his losses on day one were to Mono Red. And he said that they peeled on him every time and he punted one of the games. So it sounds like a, a promising tournament that just kind of went a little bit awry, right? Yeah, and I think, like, from talking to him, it was like, oh, yeah, like, I, I should have probably gone over a few things, like, more in-depth with him. Uh, because, for example, he played against Eric Hawkins playing the white-blue uh, creature flashback deck in Balm. Mm-hmm. And he, he just, like, brought in all the negates. And it's like, his, his deck is mostly creatures, man. What are you doing? Uh, so just, yeah, things like that. And like maybe how he was approaching the mono red matchup was maybe not good. Like I asked him if the sideboarding guide was good. And he was like, yeah, you know, like I tried my own stuff at first and then realized that like your sideboarding guide was probably much better and you understood what was going on and stuff. So uh, beats. But uh, I do still like that list mostly. Again, I would kind of change the sideboard a little bit. But I, I like having three glory bringer. Two Q, one Sky Sovereign, although I could see just moving all the Sky Sovereigns to the sideboard and just maxing on Glorybringer and like that's that's your plan A, you know? Yeah, and that's a fine plan A. And I think like once you decide to be pure teamer, there's a lot to be said for just maxing your Glorybringers because it gets you out of so many spots and you're so reliant on it in the in the pure teamer configurations. You just need that haste damage, the the four through the air. It's, it's how you win the vast majority of your games. Yeah, absolutely. Like my, my only thing was like, how many five drops can you play? Because obviously Ku is awesome, Glorybringer is awesome, and Sky Sovereign is awesome in most game states. And it just felt like, how how much worse is the Sky Sovereign than the fourth Glorybringer? And I, I do think that whatever the opposite of diminishing returns is, you know, like Glorybringer has that. Yeah, it's just great. No matter how many you draw, amplifies its effect on the, on the board. Yeah, and it just gets better, you mm-hmm. know? Yep. Very rare situations where you're unhappy to draw your second Glorybringer, right? Right, exactly. So, I mean, the, obviously against the aggro decks, like it can be a little slow, but you still need to fly over Hazard, man. Mm-hmm. Yes, you do. So, I like Glorybringer. I like the fact that Hydra is one of the things that comes down before Glorybringer that Glorybringer can't touch and actually allows you to race. So, Hydra is actually pretty relevant in like the Chandra's defeat games in the postboard games uh, because 
like you have to you have to play a spell or two spells and maybe give them a window to Glorybringer you. If you keep open a red, it's pretty obvious that you have Chandra's defeat, so they get to play two spells, you know. And yeah. then you're just kind of falling behind from there. So a lot of the time, it's like if you get to just play Bristling Hydra, and their response is like Glorybringer no exert because you don't have anything relevant in play to kill, and then you get to play like a spell and kill your Glorybringer, like. That's that's where you start getting ahead. So, like, I'm not really sure why everyone is so down on Bristling Hydra. Like, obviously, it is not great against Vizier, but, I mean, whatever. Like, you, you just kind of, like, stare at each other at that point, and that's fine. Hmm. You've given me a lot to think about in terms of Vizier. Um, I, was, I was super excited about the tech when I saw it, and now you've kind of got me to pump my brakes a little bit based on kind of how you're describing board states and the reality of the way the games play out. Play like two or three for sure. Just like four strikes me as an odd number because it's like, okay, so they play Rogue Refiner and it's like, hey, I get to clone that thing because I didn't draw a Rogue Refiner. That's cool. And then they're like, Glorybringer exerts, smash you for seven. And it's like, okay, like I, I can. I can never use my mana to catch back up at this point because I wasted yeah, I that mean, previous turn. You can embalm and then like, you know, Vizier their glory bringer and kill their rogue refiner but you're just so far behind at that point it's like you really want to just have a turn where you get to like vizier their glory bringer and kill their glory bringer with like chandra's defeat or lightning or something and that's that's awesome obviously like that those that's how you're gonna win games but just like the value viziers do not seem worth it to me and that makes me very skeptical about drawing multiples of them I'm partial to the technique here of just maxing viziers. One of my favorite deck building techniques is just like where you find that small edge and, you know, it starts to catch on and everyone's playing a copy here, a copy there. And like, oh yeah, this is kind of, you know, a very key card in this matchup. And then you just turn it up to 11 and you're like, yep, I'm playing all of this card, four copies. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that historically I've had success with. So what I see an approach like that being taken and, and finding some some good results, although in, in fairness, it's in the hands of Yuya who you know, can kind of win with anything. But I, I really do like that approach. And I think it's a good way to catch people unawares. Could be this is not the right time to apply it. But when I saw you use list, it definitely caught my eye. So I, I do like that approach also. I mean, I played like three Chandra's defeats at Nationals, right? Because like, mm -hmm. I just always wanted them against Rampaging Ferocidon and having two was good in the mirror. And then I played against Mardu in the top four and he had a bunch of Ferocidons and stuff. And it was just like, I have all these Chandra's defeats, man. Like your things aren't even good. I definitely like that approach, uh, but Vizier and Chandra's Defeat certainly are just cards that have diminishing returns, you know? It's like, you are very happy to draw one, but then they just kind of lose their effectiveness after that, you know? It's not like a bunch of Dark Betrayals in the Mono Black Mirror or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's kind of like, wh what's the metric that everyone always... There's like a metric to how often you want to draw a card and how many copies you should play. And four is like, you want multiple copies every game, right? That's like, that's the threshold yeah. you break. Whereas three, I think is you always want to draw one. Yep. Um, and, and maybe that's more where Vizier Falls is in the three range. Yeah, no, I, I could be down with that. If you have enough removal, then having these grindy elements is not the worst thing, you know? Mm. But one of the things I liked about Sky Sovereign in the mirror was that you had it to clean up all the little stuff. So like, you didn't need to like abrade every whirler virtuoso or whatever it was just like sky sovereign was going to pick them off over time and then you'd be able to leverage that yeah it's kind so, of fulfilling both rules right it's playing on the small side and the large side yep exactly so when i was on the play i was usually just going lower on honor braids mm -hmm. and then on the draw it's like yeah if you want to cut some amount of cubs and just have more removal spells so you don't get run over by their cubs that makes sense to me too yeah i see what you're saying uh so i'm looking at the list that brad and Corey played yeah, it's and like standard no spice, like just kind of chalk, right? What you would expect, right? Yeah, I mean, Brad has a spray and a scatter, whereas Corey has a fourth Hydra and uh, more braids. They both only have three Glorybringer, which is bizarre to me, and two Chandra. So they only have five five drops total. And I was very happy with six and was like, can I play the seventh? Because these are the best cards, you know? Yeah, and uh, that's kind of an approach that's seen some success too. I mean, again, talking about something like you use deck, which has a Nicole Bolas, and you know they keep getting bigger and bigger, and it seems like maybe these guys took it in the opposite direction and chose to get a little bit smaller. Yep, and it seems like you know they're they're seventy five for the most part is pretty close. Uh, but I, I basically like what they're doing. I mean, 
I have not been super happy with Chandra just because it's pretty poor against Mono Red and like its effectiveness wanes a lot depending player draw. So yeah, it's just it's one of those things where it's like I don't know if I'm supposed to just like main deck a bunch of these and just be fine with that, you know, and just like try and make them good. Yeah, the card's definitely been trending up in the past few weeks. We sat here a few weeks ago and we were both really down on Chandra to the point where I, I know my list were having zero Chandra's main for quite some time. And I think that I was down to like just one in the board at one point. Um, but you're starting to see a lot of the list play, you know, three copies with sometimes even the fourth one sideboard, which is kind of crazy yeah. from where we were a few weeks ago, especially as we talk about the rise in Chandra's defeat. Like you're talking about how you now consider Chandra's defeat to be a key card in the mirror. And they're upping their Chandra's even further. So, Chandra's defeat against like the four color energy versions is definitely not very good. I mean, they they do have some Chandra's if they're the CFB version, but it's just like maybe you get to bring in one. But if if they have two Glory Bringers, I mean, you can't really just like load up on those and expect them to do good things for you when they also have like Scarab God and stuff. So I don't know. Like I, I definitely need to play more with Chandra. Uh, it is certainly a card that will just win you games when you're on the play, which is kind of nice. And the more resilient people become to teamer just in general, uh, I think the more valuable it is just to have planeswalkers in your deck, you know? Yeah. And just steal the game like that too. And you know, the, the turn two servant into turn three Chandra openings are, you know, they feel unbeatable in, in many, many situations, especially if you're on the play, like it, it's very difficult to recover from that kind of opening. Um, yeah. Three wins are nice. You may as well take them where you can get them. Dude, I, I agree 100%. And the other thing about Brad and Corey's list that I will note is that they have four forests and four botanical sanctums. And given that you're playing a bunch of Chandras, I kind of hate that. Like, I think that you're supposed to have the four Spire Bluff Canal. So do you think this is like a, a case of copy-paste where this is what it's always been? Here's the mana base for Teamer. We'll just grab this mana base and, and kind of not make the adjustment once you move to the heavier red count? To some degree, I mean, Seth's deck from Nationals had three forests, one island, one mountain. So Brad has two extra basics, an extra forest and an extra mountain, and only one sheltered thicket, which is pretty light for what he has normally played, I think. Like, he still only has 16 green sources. I'm trying to think of what my mana base was from the Pro Tour, because I think I was still, I think I still had 16, but I cut a Sanctum for a Canal. And then maybe I cut a Thicket for a Crag, but that's like the same amount of sources. So I don't know. I will say that in post-board configurations, he's looking at a lot of double blue now. He's got double Rivers of Uke and another Confiscation Coup in the sideboard. Yeah. So you could certainly see him being a little worried about the blue production in, in those games. Yeah, I mean, the the second island has been very, very close to making its way into the deck for a while now. Like, once you start adopting Confiscation Coup, mm -hmm. and it's like, now you have that and, and Vizier and Rivers Rebuke. Sometimes you want to play Disallow, which I think is awesome if you can yeah. realistically cast it. If you're cutting a, a botanical sanctum for a spire bluff canal, that doesn't you're actually change anything. Right. Yeah, that's but, more about the island. Yeah, but I do think that you want an extra red source, and it it does just mean that like spire bluff canal is basically the best land in your deck because you can't keep a hand unless it has a green source for the most part. And spire bluff canal just like puts you so much closer to be able to casting your RR and UU spells. I see what you're saying, but I wonder if you're actually maximizing keepable hands by maxing just green. Because you can keep so many gr one green source attune hands that you're just kind of priced into maximizing green as opposed to maximizing anything else. I believe my Pro Tour list had 17 green sources before I cut it to 16, and 16 is what everyone else plays. So I, th I think I was still there. I need to find this. I'm going to go to the Patreon. That's a, a little bit of uh, free advertisement too. Patreon. Yeah, we have, we have a Patreon. It's gas. Uh, I'm going to send out new Patreon stuff next week, and that's very exciting. Even even Jerry uses the Patreon. That's how good it is. He uses it for his own deck list. <laughs> so my mana base was... Okay, I was I was down a green source. That was my official answer. What were you missing? I, I'm at 15 green. Yeah, I, I think you may have limited your keepable openers by doing so. Obviously, we're talking like very thin margins right now. But yeah, I, I think you kind of have to maximize those attuned, keepable hands. Well, for all the losing I did at the Pro Tour, I don't think I really mulliganed all that much, for whatever that's worth. Again, we're talking very small margins. I know, when you're talking I know. About the difference between those two. I mean, you look at the four-color list, they they only have 15. Yeah, but they lose to themselves a lot. Like, that's part of, that's part of the decision you're making when you're choosing pure teamer, is like, 
I don't want to lose to my deck. And, and I promise you these four color lists, as good as they are, I'm not saying they're bad. I, I think four color is a completely reasonable approach. And I think it has a lot to do with the style of game you want to play. They do lose games to their mana base. I promise you. If you've ever played the four color deck and had Swamp in your opener, you know the pain of the four color mana base. It, it is real. It exists. It drives me crazy when people say things like the splash is almost free. Honestly, my head almost explodes every time I hear that. The splash nope. is not anywhere close to free. It costs a lot. I'm not saying it's not worth it, but if you're thinking of this splash as free, you're doing yourself a very big disservice in evaluating this deck because if the splash was free, everyone would take it. Like, right. There's no way you don't want access to good black sideboard cards. Even if for whatever reason the splash is free and you don't want the Scarab God, there's still a ton of good black sideboard options that you would pursue. I would definitely play a Vraska and Teamer if it were just free. If it was free, yeah, absolutely. There's a ton of cards. Like I, I like Cartouche a lot. I like Black Cartouche. I think that's a really good card against the Mono Red list. Same. That's one of the reasons why I, I look towards the four color list and I'm considering them, but you can't say it's free. It's very far from that. The thing that confuses me is that the four color lists have a much higher mana curve and higher mana requirements. And they have to play Swamp, which is effectively a colorless land until, you know, turn five or whatever. And why, why don't you just add a land? Like 22 is so low. And it's not like the four color ones really flood. I mean, they have so many expensive cards and like the Scarab God and all this stuff. It's like, all you want to do is hit your land drops. That's, that's it. And then hope that like your powerful cards take over. So like, why would you not just add a land? That's a fair question. I probably would. I think my four colorists often played 23 um, when, I when I was getting bigger. And I didn't even have Vraska. This was just like old Scarab God lists. I think I was oh, wow. playing 23 lands. Because you're exactly right. Like when those cards are on the board, if you have mana, it becomes very difficult to lose. And again, if you're playing these cards on curve, especially when Scarab God was kind of like just becoming tech. You know, if you had your Scarab God on turn five, it felt almost impossible to lose in a lot of cases. Yeah putting yourself in a position where you kind of are just asking for things to go right. Like this deck is now asking for a lot of things to go right. I like the idea of maximizing your chances at, at having smooth mana, you know, hitting your drops on time. I would also play a 23rd land in a four color list right now. Yeah. It's, it's just supremely greedy. I mean, you want to get to nine mana to play Scarab God plus activate, right? Mm -hmm. Like play more mana sources. Yeah, I don't know what the fear is. Their cards are so powerful. And that's like kind of why you're buying in is this extreme boost in power level you get. Not to say that Teamer's cards aren't super powerful, but, uh, you know, they do take things to another level with the Scarab God and Vraska. And it's like, give yourself a chance to play those powerful cards. Maximize your odds. Yeah, the issue for Teamer is like, oh, you flood. And what is the best card you can draw? You know, it's like, oh, Rogue Refiner into Rogue Refiner into X, I guess. But with the four color one, it's like, Oh, I could, draw, God. I could draw a Vraska, a Scarab God, just like basically anything. And they still have like the Rogue Refiner peels and extra five drops and stuff. And it's like, come on, just stop losing to yourself. They can even play a cycling land. Like if you want to be difficult about it and not just like give in entirely, at least give yourself another cycling land in your list. You, you yeah. can play two Sheltered Thicken instead if you, if you aren't totally on board for what we're saying. Right. And I mean, I don't really like the cycling lands when your curve is higher, you know, because it's like if you get to turn six and you're like cycle, draw Vraska or draw five drop. It's like, oh, this this didn't really help me. Didn't you do know? anything. Yeah. Uh, but I would be down with like 24 land and like more cycle lands. Like who cares? Just make your land drops, cast your spells. If if you are working under the assumption that your cards are better than your opponents and as long as you get to play magic, you will win. Play more mana sources. No objection here. I'm with you. And, I, and I'm looking through right now. I can't find one person who played over 22 lands. It's like Sheep. nobody even considers it. Sheep. They just copy deck lists. Yeah. there's. I have not found either a teamer list or a four color list that has more than 22 lands. Here we go. Yuya Watanabe. 22 uh, lands. Uh, okay. So... Yuya and Shota are the geniuses. He has two sheltered thickets. So yes. if that's not good evidence that, you know, very smart and intelligent people are saying maybe it's time for a couple more lands, you know, Yuya Watanabe, one of the greatest players in the world, is with and us. And of all time. Land. And of all time, sure. Absolutely. So 23 land, he maintains 16 green sources, uh, also has the swamp, presumably can cast the spells, you know, Yuya, the master. He also doesn't play Glorybringer, though. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, the like, I guess he has Chandra, so that's not even really like a mana concern. But 
gotta gotta fit that vizier in there somehow. <laughs> That's how you get the fourth one in. You give up on the glory bringer. Dude, I, I would really like to copy a glory bringer with this, but I'll just cut all the glory bringers from my deck. <laughs> well, uh, we spent 30 minutes talking about Teamer. So Damn we should it. probably did it again. Why do we always do that? Because Teamer is awesome and there's a lot of nuance. There is. It, it is the best deck still. Teamer or four, four color. Anyone who has a tournament coming up this weekend, that's what you should be playing. Uh, you need a very good reason not to. And now maybe we can go through the other stuff and, and try and find some good reasons. I haven't seen them yet, but maybe something will catch my eye as we move through this. Okay. I will say that for Cedric in Atlanta, playing Teamer was probably not correct because he didn't have the experience with the deck. Tough to pick up at this point. Like there's, I have a lot of Teamer reps under my belt and I'm sure there's people, you know, with way more than I have. And I, I'm sure that in a mirror, I'm fairly advantaged because I've played it a bunch. Yeah. If you're grabbing it raw at this point, I don't know, man. You're you're pretty far behind. Yeah, it might not be the right deck for everyone, but it is definitely the best deck. And I think the, the whole purpose of this was to discuss Teamer versus Four Color and which is better. And I, I think that Straight Teamer is better. And I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's particularly close. You don't think it's close? Not really. I think I think that Glorybringer just gets under the, the mirror matches with all their greedy cards. And I think that River's Rebuke is a fantastic trump. Okay. I think it's close. I, I don't like River's Rebuke in the straight Teamer mirror, but if they have Scarab God and a bunch of like go long stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You like let them play out their Gaunties or whatever. And you just like build a board of like Bristling Hydras. And then eventually you draw River's Rebuke and there's just nothing they can do. In the meantime, you're like, you know, blocking their stuff with Thopters and just like prolonging the game until you draw your card. At some point, Negate's going to be good in the Teamer mirror again, by the way. I don't know when it's going to happen, but there's going to cross a threshold where like it becomes correct to have your Negates in post-board games. It's not there yet. I wouldn't do it now. But at some point, it's going to become correct again. That's my prediction. Yeah, I mean, the the four-color ones were boarding duress for the mirrors, uh, like the Jabberwocky four-colors that were base black. Like, they, they were boarding duress for the mirrors, and it was good, but negate against straight teamer it's like sure board that in against me it's going to be good against my rivers rebuke but like if i'm putting pressure on you and you have to like keep activating scarab god and stuff like you're not going to have mana for that thing you know no you're and- you're right but i i think things will evolve in such a way as we find more and more trumps and explore kind of non-creature based trumps you know and maybe i'm even talking about a new deck when we're talking post rivals but at some point negate's going to be the answer because we keep trending in this direction you know boats showing up rivers rebuke is showing up all these cards which we believe to be very good in the mirror more confiscation coups more confiscation coup yeah it's kind of like how blossoming defense all of a sudden became a very good card again it's like things just trend in that direction where this is the trump to everything that opposing decks are trying to do yeah no that's fair all right mono red should i play mono red this weekend no i kind of want to i think it'd be fun don't do it don't do it Dude, if if my hero John Rolf can top eight a pro tour with Mono Red, I think I can do it. I, I know you can. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm saying I don't think you will enjoy the process of doing so, especially if you do something like copy Ben Stark's list. No. Obviously, Ben is a master because you'd have to be to win with only one Hazaret in his main deck. What is happening there? Can you please explain to me? Treasure map is gas. I, I agree. Gas. I, treasure map's great. So is Hazaret. And if I am ever playing a red deck with fewer than, let's say, three Hazaret's main deck, I could see a theoretical possibility that I would only want three in, in some metagames. But please don't ever let me play a red deck in this format with only one Hazaret main. I mean, in theory, his deck is supposed to be good against like Teamer and the Mirror Match with all of its Sand Stranglers and whatnot. And then he had like some things that allowed him to grind against like the the slower like blue control decks but like i i don't think that's the place i want to be like i would still rather just be all in on hazret and like you know have like the village messengers and cartouches like just like 56 cards and four hazrets i think is a stronger deck than than what ben was doing just in general but yeah ben stark the master yeah i would say the same thing and he's also got dunes of the dead what a sicko yeah obviously he had a plan for this weekend I do not recommend this plan. I think he knows exactly what he was doing. Anyone else trying to step into his shoes? I don't know, man. I I've, I actually have played a lot of Mono Red um, since the deck kind of you know found its footing. And the thought of playing without Hazaret, I can't tell you how many games where I'm like, how do I ever win this game? And then I draw Hazaret and I'm like, oh, it's, right, that's how. 
it's a different deck, man. He's he's playing big red. He's controlling the board. Like this deck is very reminiscent of his GP Memphis deck that he also got second place with, I believe. I just don't like remember that deck. Uh, like Seeker of the Way, Outpost Siege. Okay. I, I believe he put all of his Stormbreath Dragons in the sideboard. Yeah, it's not coming to mind right now. Maybe he was one of the first people to maximize uh, the the mythic that copied the lifelinking mythic guy. Oh, Soulfire Grandmaster. Yeah, was he like one of the first people who maximized Soulfire Grandmaster? In yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, he is he is good at playing like these mid-range red decks. Like he is good at like tuning them and understanding how to play them and all that stuff. So like kind of similar to Teamer, it's like if you haven't, pick that deck up yet and you're not used to it then eh, maybe look somewhere else like you have a lot of options yeah and i will say too that i think this red deck is very very difficult to play another thing that i kind of bristle at is when people talk about red decks being easy to play and, oh and maybe God. it's my own approach to the game but whenever i pick up a red deck i find myself baffled almost from turn one you have all your cards cost the same they do basically the same thing and i have no clue what to play on any given turn I think especially this red deck is one of the more challenging ones. Um, and you see people who have a level of comfort with the deck. Uh, Yam Wing Chun, who I'm going to call the greatest Ramen Hap red player of all time. It's not um, close. It, it, just, it, it, just crushing it again. Yeah, he's he's got to be the winningest player, right? Oh, for sure. For sure. With, with this deck, his results are preposterous. Yeah, I don't know. I got to watch him play. I, I played red in two or three tournaments and a bunch online and... It was hard, man. Like I, I chucked, I think three games, which translated to three matches at the pro tour. I played it and where Sam black top ate it. And it's just like, I wanted Sam to play the deck because I thought that he would do well with it. And sure enough, he did. And meanwhile, I'm just like struggling to like win these games. And I had some like weirdo situations come up where it's like, I am unfamiliar with what I'm supposed to be doing here. You know? Yeah. So. I, f I feel that way often when I play Ramen Upper Ed, it, it's a humbling experience. And I think most of Yam's skill comes in the way he draws his cards. Have you have you watched him play? I mean, you're usually playing the tournaments where that, he's covered. That is BS, and I don't even want to talk about that. No, no, he he has this this sick like he slow rolls I as he know. reveals his card for the turn. It's so I, awesome. I love I it so much. I hate it. No, it's awesome. I love how he does it. It is extremely tilting. And when I'm watching him, I'm like, oh my god, show me the card already. But I also just like love the style. Like I'm totally into it at this point. I hate it. Agree to disagree. Yeah. I think that magic could use a little bit more flourish and everything, but like that is not the way to do it. Like I, I respect my opponent's time and all, all Yam is doing is stealing time from his opponent. So what if he's using the time that he kind of is doing this kind of show? And I do think it's a show, but what if he's just kind of maximizing it to do all of his calculations and he's actually figuring out his turn at that point? He's not because he gets a draw step. Because he doesn't know what's in his hand. At that right. Point. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm going to pause and think on my upkeep for two minutes. It's like, what are you doing? Uh, you ever you ever love something and you know it's impossible to defend? <laughs> like, I, I don't have any good ways to defend it, but I still like that he does it. And I don't know I, why. I think I have a lot of things going on in my life that probably fall under that category. <laughs> so I, I get it, but... Ugh. Okay, anyway, red is good, uh, yam is good. How hateful against teamer do you want to be? Or like, how hateful do you need to be? For example, Trey Van Cleave top eight at GP Atlanta this weekend. He had the full four Harsh Mentors and the full four Ferocidons main deck. No Nosy Goblins in this deck? Uh, not legal. Oh, oh, my mistake. I like Trey. I do think that, you know, he, he was peeking in the draft or whatever, but I do like Trey. I, I don't know, Trey. I, you know, I couldn't resist me in there. But I, I my approach to Red would be to be as hateful against Teamer as possible. You know, we've discussed before that a lot of what Teamer's rise to ascension in the metagame had a lot to do with its ability to slow down Mono Red. And I think you need to account for that. And Trey does it to the absolute fullest. For Harsh Mentor, for Rampaging Ferocidon, I don't think you could be more targeted at beating teamer and obviously it worked very well for him in this tournament i'd love to know his record um against teamer i have a feeling it was probably very favorable let me check on facebook and see if he posted anything i know that he lost to approach in the top eight and you could see you could see that making a lot of sense with the cards he's playing right right but i i think he got peeled on too uh and then he top eighted by beating teamer twice so he went 4-0 against teamer on day two lost to blue black and beat a vehicles yeah that seems right and honestly if 
if I were to play mono red, I'm not saying this is the correct approach for everyone, but if me personally, I was playing mono red, I would do so because I believed I was strongly advantage against teamer and I would play a list that looked a lot like this. Yeah, I, I just don't know like how far you need to go because like four Ferocidon is is kind of stock at this point, but Harsh Mentor is not. You still see like two copies lurking out in the sideboard and uh, Trey had to give up a carry Zev to fit in those Harsh Mentors. And I, I like having additional two drops, you know, like if you spend a turn without playing a creature, it's like kind of bad. So having sure. the additional twos isn't the worst thing ever. Uh, but I'm, I don't know if you just need all of them. Like, it just seems like he's putting Teamer in like this prison, right? Yeah, I would have to think more about its applications across other matchups. I mean, obviously, it's not what you want in the mirror. And he's he's kind of like at a fairly significant disadvantage there, I would assume. But also, I, I think the mirror is very difficult to play. If he feels he's particularly good at the mirror and kind of knows how to exploit his edge there, then maybe he feels like he can take some points off. It's easy to underestimate the effect that maximizing your ability to curve out has on the game. Just having those two drops might be making a world of difference. You know, they could be straight up grizzly bears um, and it wouldn't even matter in a lot of spots. He just needs the body on too. So without playing a bunch of games with this list, it's hard to say exactly, you know, where he was losing points, um, but it's unquestionable that he gained the points against Teamer. So yeah, either way, Ferocidon is great. And whether or not you harsh mentor or not, I think is up to you. Called called that, by the way, Rampaging Ferocidon. Boom. You did. You were on board with that card early. I think you had to talk me into it. But yeah, it's very easy to see its application in this format, right? It's it is hateful against a few decks right now. Oh, yeah. It, it is a nice one. Some other things that are kind of weird about the red list is like, why, why do they still have four shock? And what the hell is Invigorated Rampage and Dual Shot doing in these sideboards? And what is it actually good against? Like, I like Rampage, but like, what is it there for? I think I read on Twitter that it is there for Teamer. Okay. No, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to believe that like, you know, Hazaret gets over their Goblin token or whatever. and the, yes. or, or their Thopter token, whatever. Yep. And, and that's awesome. I could also see those sort of situations happening in the mirror match too, where it's like, you know, they have Pia and they're they're chump blocking on the last turn to try and kill you on the swing back and it could be good. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't I don't remember if they said they brought it in the mirror or not, but but certainly I think it was uh, Saito who it, it originated with his team at the last pro tour. And I think it was he who posted on Twitter about it and said it was for the teamer matchup. I, I can't remember if he said he was bringing it in versus mono red as well. But yeah, I, I think it's good tech. I, I think it's it's cool and addresses a very real situation that is kind of what those games are about right again we talked about targeting teamer well they went about it in their own way and uh you know i i think that probably this configuration is now favored in post board games against teamer when so much of your game plan is just like i need to get make some thopter tokens stabilize and that's how i win this game well you just got invigorated rampage on so yeah i mean i i think it puts the onus on the teamer players to actually deal with your hazard straight up yes Yes, you need to have a pure answer because otherwise you're just going to get trampled over. That's the end. Yep. So third confiscation coup, Brad said that he was considering the fourth one, you know, uh, wow. that might that might not be that crazy anymore. That is going deep. Got to answer Hazaret. <laughs> Our options are limited. So, yeah. So uh, red is excellent. I, th- I thought about playing it. It's like one of my friends from Seattle also wants to play it. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe I'll make the plunge and play it with you. It's been a while since I played that deck and I like Trey's list. And uh, he and I talked about it a little bit. And then I was just thinking about like, yeah, play my Hazaret. And then like my opponent just confiscation coups it. I'm just like, I, OK, yeah, no, I, I really don't want to be in that spot. Yeah, there's something like I don't know how to describe it. But when things are going well as the mono red player, that's how we envision playing the mono red deck when we're sitting at home like thinking about how our tournament's going to go. We envision those type of games. You forget all the games where like your opponent's at 23 life and you have like a card in hand and it's like a 2-2 that does nothing. <laughs> and, yeah. and those are the game states you're in. Now, granted, this version of Red finds itself in that position in far fewer games. It, it quite often has very good options in the late game as well. But, you know, those situations still happen and they still feel just as painful as they have in the past. So Yeah, so I'm going to, I think I'm going to run back Teamer, try and avenge my Pro Tour finish certainly try to play better and draw better and all that good stuff good idea drawing better is sick strategy dude it really is uh maybe practice winning die rolls also 
Oh, nice. that was another thing I forgot to mention at the Pro Tour. I went 1-5 in die rolls. Oh, come on. You didn't just tell me your die roll record. That didn't happen. No, this is this is the story of like, look at all the things that were unfortunate, but in reality, I just blew it a bunch. But that yes, was- but a- this, isn't, this isn't one of those things. This is just die rolls. Something completely defi- outside your control whatsoever. And you know that. And like one of the biggest distinctions- between a very good magic player and maybe a not so good magic player, I think is how often you hear them say their record in die rolls on the day. Brian, I'm talking about, you can look at it like these are all the things that happened that made me unlucky and that's why I lost. But the reality was that I, I just blew it a bunch. That's what I'm saying. I know what you're saying. I still have to rib you for it though. I can't let it slide that easily. I, I think you're missing the point. I really do. No, no, I I, I get it. I, I know exactly what you're saying. It fits into the narrative. It's just hearing those words come out of your mouth, regardless of the context, which I do understand. It was funny to me. That's all. Word. I mean, I definitely agree with you that just like, oh, I lost. I mean, like the die rolls do matter. Like you can't. Oh, for sure. For you, sure. You can't say that they don't or whatever. Like if, no. if I was guaranteed to win like, you know, 12 die rolls in the Swiss or whatever, I would like my chances. Yes, they are extremely impactful in the outcome of the games, not disputing that whatsoever. But I could practice rolling dice, you know? I could do that. Good. Yeah, sure. Why not? (laughs) I remember I had a buddy in college who (laughs) he read entire books about like how to roll dice for craps. He was convinced there was a method. Like he read huge voluminous books about rolling dice at a craps table because he was so convinced he could figure it out. I mean, if you want to try and figure out like the math behind it, like all the geometry and stuff, sure. But like that is cheating. Yeah, this was about technique. He was convinced there was like a a wrist thing you could do that would keep the dice rolling in a certain matter, which if it was true, great, you discovered it. You're going to be thrown out of the casino immediately anyway. So what's the point? Right. You're, You're gaining an unfair advantage. Yes. So, uh, when I, when I say that, know that it is akin to cheating and I'm definitely not doing that. It would be nice. It would be nice. But like that, you know, it would be nice if like all my opponents mold the three and like I got to start with 10 cards in my opening hand and all this stuff. Like it's not magic, you know? I'm, I want to propose a stupid hypothetical to you now. Would you rather as like rewards for being platinum? No. Would you rather have the three buys that you have right now? Or would you rather have some number of, of I guess we'll say... I don't really know how you would do this. Some increased number of being able to choose player draw, but not yeah. every single time. No, like they roll a six-sider, I roll an eight-sider. Sure, something that's good. That's a good way of doing it. Which would you take? The three buys or the advantage in the die roll? I would happily take the die roll. Hmm. I don't think it's close. I, I would like, if that was the system, so much more, to be honest with you. As someone who never has buys... I find this current system super frustrating. And I think a lot of people are kind of coming around to the idea that maybe buys are not the best way to- buys, buys are also really dumb and really unfair. But like, can you imagine like, so you sit down for your top eight match, right? And it's like your opponent's the first seed. So they're like, I get to play. And it's like, oh man, like that kind of sucks, you know? Like, or like maybe you had the same record and they got fourth and you got fifth or something. You're just like, this is really dumb and kind of unfair, you know? And then every round in the Swiss, you you sit down to play against like a pro player and you just automatically are on the draw. That's just so dumb. It's like you're already getting punished by playing against someone good. Yeah, you're you're right. And, you know, the feel bads happen every single round in this scenario. That's the problem with it, right? Whereas like your feel bads are kind of, they don't exist once you're just in the midst of the tournament because you're not actually seeing the buys of the other player. They're just someone who's sitting across from you. It doesn't impact your actual gameplay experience. Right. Whereas something like that would impact your gameplay experience over and over and over. So I, I admit it's not the ideal situation, but I do wish they'd explore some other options as far as, you know, kind of platinum rewards that have the effect of giving some advantage, but not as pronounced as the three buy advantage that's currently used. Buys are really stupid. I would happily just give up my buys if it meant, you know, like I got an extra $100 per Grand Prix or whatever. I I think a lot of people feel the same way. And I I do think they're going to go away at some point. That's my prediction. Yeah, we'll see. Slow, slow moving. Anyway, uh, we got to run through a bunch of other decks. All right, Salty Energy. No interest. I, I think it was a great call for the Pro Tour. I don't really know what it's doing right now. Um, Teamer's just better. It's a better deck. Well, I also think that Sultai is just really weak to Glorybringer. And that is, yeah. I mean, if people keep playing four color, then maybe Sultai can come back. But uh, I, I just think that Teamer is a much better deck. I'm with you. No no debate here. Okay. Uh, the God Pharaoh's Gift decks. I, I like the angle. I like that it's doing something different. 
this was not the week to play them in my eyes. I think that people were prepared. It was much more on the radar than it's been in the past. And the God Pharaoh's decks really need to come from a place of uh, surprise. They need to be a little bit unexpected. That's why, you know, I think we only saw one God Pharaoh's list across the three top eights. Not for me, but maybe at some point in the future, I could see it sniping another GP. Yeah, uh, I don't think it would be great for Portland this week either, but maybe like the week after, if there is something, I'm not sure. But could be. Uh, I like I like Pascal's sideboard plan because he gets to dodge a lot of the hate, and then the other ones like you know blue black Esper whatever like they don't have a good enough way to sidestep things. So I think that they're just too weak in the post board games. Yeah, unquestionably Pascal's was the. The best list I've seen so far. I, I do like the way he plays his post-board games. Yeah, uh, that deck needs help against like Ferocidon and Red in general, though. So, mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Black, Blue, and now X, mid-range. So, the ninth place list from the Atlanta GP. This came from Pl- your homie on First Strike? This did. This is a, a Rob Lombardi deck list. And Sergio Ferry is avid listener of the First Strike podcast, and... Rob posted this in like the first strike Facebook group the night before the GP and Sergio's just like, yeah, I'm going to play this. And he said it was just awesome. You see the theory behind it, right? It's kind of like it, it has all of the same insane cards that the four color list, uh, the team list have access to. But in the late game, it just doesn't have those dead draws. Like every card in the deck is just bonkers. Yeah. Champion of wits is like huge for, you know, just hitting hitting these like board stalls and then you draw four cards. You're like, oh, I can never lose again. They have early removal in the form of fatal push. I think the mana is atrocious. I think you die to your mana base a lot with this deck, but I see I see the appeal. I see what's going on here. I see why it had success. This may be kind of an underexplored archetype. I think it could use some tuning, but there's something here. Just like all your cards are good in the late game. Everything you draw, you're like, wow, I'm hugely advantage right now. And if you watch Sergio play on camera, he was playing against Teamer for his, you know, it, it seemed like it could have been a win and end. He ended up missing on breakers, but they just played to like a point of parity. And then every card Sergio drew off the top of his deck was unbeatable while his opponent drew like servant of the conduit. <laughs> and that was, that was how the game was dictated. Yeah, no, this, this deck is sweet. It is uh, basically siphoner, whirler, glory bringer, fatal push, harness lightning, and, you know, some like two ofs in between there and stuff. And yeah, you do get the best of four color without, like four color basically just had like a tune servant rogue refiner and like some Vraskas, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's really not that big of a deal, and you're looking at a tune and servant to help fix your mana and rogue refiner also to some degree. And it's like, what if we just cut out the middleman? What if we just try right. and play Grixis and make it work with all these dragon skull summits and drowned catacombs alongside the cycle lands? And I agree that the mana is a little rough. There are 26 lands, which I like a lot, but there's only four yes. B6s and it sounds like the the core set duels will probably ETB tapped a reasonable amount of the time, which is not ideal, but you get Whirler Virtuoso and Harness Lightning in the black-blue mid-range deck, and I'm kind of in, you know? Yeah, there's something here. There, this is a very interesting approach. Uh, I think Rob did a really nice job, and this deck is starting to pop up on Moto lists a little bit as well. I wouldn't just grab it raw. I think you need to think about what's being done here. Reach out to Rob. I know he's happy to talk about the deck list if, if this is something that piques your interest. But this was worth exploring. This isn't something I'm just discarding out of hand. I I think he was onto something here. Yeah, this is one of the decks I look like or I look at, and I'm just like, damn it, why didn't I build this? Yeah, and you know what? I, I was thinking about that as I was getting ready to do the cast tonight, and like this is exactly what I would have done in the past. But I've kind of convinced myself that Teamer is so good that it's almost not worth exploring these other ideas. That's a really like bad attitude to have, and it's really defeatist, and I'm kind of upset with myself for taking that approach. I've been content to just kind of tune Teamer and you know, find the Teamer technology I liked. But you know, Rob showed that there's very much, and Sergio showed that there's, there's room for innovation, there's room for thinking critically about the format and just asking kind of the big questions, like what if all my top decks were good? What if I just solidified my early game by playing with Fatal Push and I didn't have to do this dance around you know, these early aggressive cards, which can sometimes give the team or list fits while they kind of spin their wheels a little bit until they hit their four drop. So yeah, I really like what was done here. And it's kind of an inspiring deck in that regards. It makes me want to explore a little bit more. Yeah, maybe I'll just play this. I mean, I'm not playing Doomfall. You could not pay me enough money to register Doomfall. Dude, Sergio had the sickest Doomfall in his winning in match, his quasi winning in, where he got a Scarab God with it, where his opponent had like an Aether Sphere Harvester. And because he didn't know the list, he just like got in for three, 
where he could have used the Aethersure Harvester uh, to wow. defend his Scarab God had he known that Doomfall was coming. <laughs> yeah, it was really sick. Yeah, I mean that I, I'm not saying play Doomfall, but it was really sick in that one spot. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that is certainly one of the good aspects about playing like this kind of rogue deck, right? Maybe I'll play Grixis. I think we pass on that too much. We, we kind of gloss over the fact that if your opponent doesn't know what's coming off the top of your deck, very hard to plan effectively. And, you know, at this point, you know, probably 73 of your opponent's 75 cards when you sit down to play against them in the teamer mirror. This kind of threw a bunch of wrinkles into the mix and his opponent did not see the Doomfall coming and he reaped the rewards from having that kind of rogue card in his deck. So, Well, it could have just been like another Vraska's Contempt. Listen, don't don't break up my narrative. This, I'm ha- trying to push people to be creative. This is ha- this is a positive. maybe a vizier, you know, like there were other options for sure. But my point is that his opponent didn't know which one was coming, and it worked out in his favor. Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, I I like black blue mid range a lot, and it is a thing that I've worked on uh, kind of concurrently with Teamer, and uh, I certainly tried to bridge the gap between a lot of the different versions and integrate things that I liked in both versions into the other deck. And uh, I'm, I'm very disappointed that I didn't get to, to this point. You know, I definitely thought about splashing like Whirler in black blue control and stuff like that. But yeah, this mm-hmm. is, this is a really good place to be. I think. Yeah. You just kind of, you took the training wheels off. We all want our tunes, but you know, there's other options out there. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So uh, Mardu or black red vehicles. There were there was a time when I was high on these, and I'm still I'm still okay on black red. I still think it's a pretty good deck, but uh, overall weak card quality. And I think uh, most decks like this Grixis deck, and even like Trey's uh, mono red deck with all of the prison creatures. I think like everyone just wants to have more cards that are just very powerful on their own. You know. Yes, you're right, and. The metagame has to look different for me to be interested in like going hard into vehicles. There has to be a lot more sweepers rolling around, and there has to be a lot of approach in the format and a lot of wraths, and then I can get behind a, an approach like Mardu Vehicles as opposed to just doing something like red if I want to go aggressive. But I, I really don't believe now's the time, and I am continually shocked when every single top eight has a copy of Mardu Vehicles in it. Props to them, but I don't know how they're getting there. It just does not seem like the correct deck. Uh, for this metagame. Well, Teamer is like one of the worst matchups too, so it's really difficult to... Yeah, you have to dodge like the most played deck over and over. Hashtag Mardu guy. All right, approach of the Second Suns. Red splash, black splash, no splash, no approach. What do you think? There was a week where I really liked this deck. I played it in a PTQ. I don't like it now. I, I think I see what Alex Lloyd was trying to do here and did successfully. He won the GP, so props to him. But it's tough for me to go into approach knowing that my opponents will always have a good sideboard plan against me. Like the cards that we were boarding in against approach, even though approach isn't as much of the metagame, they're not gone. They're still there. They're still in the gates. Um, I don't know. I I think he found a unique enough sideboard approach where he felt like he was advantaged. I'm sure he got people with the Scarab God quite often. They didn't keep in their Scarab God answers. You know, you certainly cut your confiscation coups against the Esper approach deck and then they slam Scarab God and it's like, oops, can't win anymore. Yep. I I like the idea of using the splash to mitigate the problem of not doing anything in your first two turns because you need to be able to account for mono red. When I last played approach, I thought mono red was mostly on its way out of the format. Turns out I got crushed by a bunch of mono red decks and that has proven not to be the case. But I I think that, if you're not in that position where mono red's leaving the format, you certainly have to make a concession and it's in the form of third color. It's got to be harness lightning or fatal push. I know you think harness lightning's a little better. I'm kind of into the fatal push thing. I like just having the clean answer to the to the cubs and the other problem creatures early. So yeah, I'm going to still pass in this deck, but a nice little piece of innovation that answered all the things that an Esper approach deck would have to answer for this week. How much worse is fatal push both when, unless you have concealed courtyard, you can't cast it on turn one. Like, you can go Fetid Pools into Glacial Fortress or whatever, but, like, if you cast Fatal Push, you still have a mana floating. Maybe you can opt or cycle a sensor or whatever, but, like, I think it is going to effectively cost you two mana a lot of the time, and at that point, it's just like, eh, maybe Lightning is better, especially because the sideboard cards are kind of sweet, but, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not super high on approach in general. Uh, I'm not sure whether or not Fatal Push is actually better than, like, Aether Meltdown, so this is not very exciting to me, but... I mean, he did he did win the GP. He did play against Ben Stark's weirdo deck in the finals, though, so I don't know. Yeah, and you pointed out there's a lot of ways for this deck to, to utilize one mana. 
Um, and then certainly that's not even accounting for the multi-spell turns. So I, I do think Fatal Push only costing one is worth something. I get what you're saying, that it's unlikely to be cast on one a lot, but I wouldn't discount it just because of that factor. I still think it it's doing something here. It's doing a little bit more than maybe Harness Lightning would do. Fair. All right. Uh, tokens basically dead, kind of getting hit by some of the same hate that... Uh, the God Pharaoh's gift decks are, and also like people are kind of just like learning how to play against them. Yeah, tokens is gone. Someone said something really interesting. They posited that tokens was never a good strategy; just fumigate was a good strategy. That's legit. And like the the token shell was just kind of dirtily and and not actually good, but it was the only deck to maximize fumi- fumigate, which I thought was really interesting and it kind of gave me pause for thought. But yeah, tokens is gone now. Don't don't worry about it. You can start trimming back some of the sideboard slots. Um, you know, if you are playing two appetites, you should probably be playing one at this point. And that's really all there is to say about tokens. It's just not part of the metagame anymore. Yep, down with that. All right, so blue black control, I think, is probably dead. Same boat. Yep. Yeah, the other decks have gotten much better. I do think that there are ways that blue black could go. Like I saw a couple lists that were like you know six big creatures, uh, very few hieroglyphic illuminations. And some that have like added red, which, you know, approach has shown is like a pretty viable strategy. Like you get Whirler Virtuoso against the red decks, you have Harness Lightning, maybe Fiery Cannonade, Chandra's Defeat, stuff like that. And I think that sort of thing could help, but I think you you would still have to jump through a lot of hoops. I, I love blue black when you guys brought it out for worlds, but it does not seem to have the tools to compete anymore. And I've sadly had to put it on the shelf for the time being. Yep. Uh, the last few things... Uh, poking around in standard, like some improvised decks, Pummeler, which did top eight of GP this weekend, and the white aggro decks that we saw at the Pro Tour. But it seems like for as exciting as those decks were, they're not really doing too great. I mean, I guess like the Athopter deck top eight of GP too, but... Yeah, you know, an occasional hit here or there, but that's kind of what a good standard format should look like. It should kind of be like, these are our top decks that are rotating and there's room for these weirdo road decks to poke their heads in every now and then that's how you're able to plan for standard that's how you're able to adapt in standard and that's why you're seeing really good standard players have success in this format because that's exactly what they're doing i see people a little cranky about this format i i think if you don't like this version of standard you may just not like standard anymore you might you might have grown out of it maybe you're a modern player now maybe you're like myself and you're a commander player excuse me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's my new thing. I'm into Commander now. I've never actually played it, but I'm, I'm positioning. I'm going to transition out of the game podcast to some kind of whatever the Elite Commander podcast is. I'm going to, I'm going to move my way over to there. Eventually. Oh, my God. Well, sad to see you go. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think this is a good standard format. It's working the way standard's supposed to work. Is energy a little ubiquitous? Yeah, it's around a little bit more than I would like. We can just hope that the next set trims things down a little bit. Yep, I'm at the same spot. Uh, I do think the standard format is good. I mean, we just talked about a bunch of different viable decks that have had success at various points. And while Teamer and Mono Red are certainly larger portions of the metagame than I would like, I mean, they're not the worst villains to have, really. No, Red's a great villain. I think Red is the best villain for standard, always. I I think there should be a very good mono red deck in most formats, or at least a, a very good like mono colored aggro deck. Yes. Um, and, and that does a really good job of putting the halt on things getting too mid-rangey and, and forcing you to make concessions in your deck building that actually leads to a more interesting play environment. Yeah, I mean, I am down with like, oh, mono red is good this season, a couple sets come out, like maybe mono white or like white with a splash is good. And then it's like, okay, yep. well maybe there's a black aggro deck and then just kind of like, cycling through that while also having like different flavors of like ramp mid-range control stuff like that yeah boxes are checked right now all that stuff's being done and i I still am enjoying the games i think most games are interesting in standard that's the main thing yeah most games are pretty good but at this point it's like we've played with these cards for we've played them a little too long yeah i I mean you're never going to get me to say that i wish the quick rotations stayed i think that was a great approach to standard kept things a lot fresher sad to see it go I mean, it's it's good for us. I think it's bad for the community as a whole. You know, like their their investments just get incinerated way too fast, and I certainly sympathize with that. I understand. I understand what you're saying, and you know, a, a lot of our complaints we have to realize are very insular. And I right. usually do a good job of realizing that what I want is not what's necessarily best for the game. 
uh, I would agree in this spot that I get why the change was made, but I, I can be selfish once in a while. I, I wish it was still the old way. At the Pro Tour, I was yelling at Majors, who is now hashtag Watsy staff, about can we please emergency rotate Kaladesh? And what what are the concerns? Is it the people who lose out on their investments? Like I will donate $1,000 to that fund that would help people like recoup their investments in Kaladesh cards. And I'm sure like- Yeah, I think you'd have a lot of donors. Yeah, I'm sure if you go around at the Pro Tour, it's like we could we could get a pretty sizable fund going, you know? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Stop doing artifact sets. Although artifacts weren't the problem here. Yeah, well, yeah, but it, artifacts are like weirdo mechanics, whatever. Uh, shockingly, he was not very receptive to my idea. So, you know, guys, I tried. I'm sorry. He forgot where he came from. Oh, man. He's he's one of them now. <laughs> That's game. Good luck.